Dan Scott, barely a week ago, I heard you rail for two hours about independence. And? Mr. Hardwick, how many times have I heard you speak of freedom at my father's table? Half the men in this church, including you, Father, and you, Reverend, are as ardent patriots as I. Will you now, when you are needed most, stop at only words? Is that the sort of men you are? that you act upon the beliefs of which you have so strongly spoken and in which you so strongly believe. All right, Patriots, we are here for another episode, Patriots Voice of Michigan. We have a special guest with us today, one of the frontline doctors, Dr. Avery Jackson, and uh, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Brian. So I guess the first question I have for you would be, uh, just tell us a little bit about your backstory, like what what got you into being a neurosurgeon, that type of stuff. Sure, sure. In a, in a nutshell, um, as as a Christian, I I uh, prayed about taking care of people's brains because my grandmother had a stroke at the age of eight, and I heard not a audible voice, but in my 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 spirit, hey, God telling me you're going to be a neurosurgeon. Had no idea in second grade what that was. I looked it up, said, okay, Lord, I'm going to do it. And so that's kind of how it all started. And from there, I went to University of Chicago undergrad. Then uh, I went to Wayne State for my medical school training. Penn, St- uh, I'm sorry, then Northwestern in uh, for general surgery in Chicago, Penn State in uh, Pennsylvania for neurosurgery, and then my complex spine fellowship in the Medical College of Wisconsin Milwaukee. And I've been um, a neurosurgeon now in, in private practice for almost 20 years. I've, done about 10,000 cases, seen about 100,000 people. I do about 20% is our brain surgeries and about 80% is spine surgeries, which is typical for a uh, neurosurgeon. And I'm a, I'm a member of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. And that out of that, a lot of the uh, frontline docs came out of that, um, that movement, because these are docs who are very um, independent docs who are fighting for the rights of patients um, and advocating, and they've been doing that since the 1940s. And then the frontline docs. Uh, one of one of my uh, I was I was uh, giving a presentation with doc, uh, with uh, Pastor Mark Hankins, and he mentioned about Stella Emanuel, one of the frontline docs. And so I because that's his doc, so I met up with her, and she invited me to be uh, uh, one of the American frontline docs. And then I wrote a chapter in her her newest book, and. So one of the things is, is that we are, um, we're just fighting for t- tyranny. We're fighting against tyranny for medical freedom and for the rights of, of all individuals to make uh, choices regarding uh, the sanctity of their own bodies and giving them a ton of information so that they can make good decisions on, on, uh, in this medical space in this time. Dave, Adrian, I got a question for you. With all your knowledge and everything that you have uh, concerning the medical field, can you give us your insight concerning this whole COVID mess that we had and the shots and the boosters and the, the natural immunity and so forth? Can you give us a little insight into that? I can give you, yes, totally. Okay, so number one, 
I'll tell you that the vaccines are basically gene therapy um, and, 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 and the intent behind the vaccines is not a good one. And I'm going to compare, first of all, compared to historical controls of vaccines. So in the past, if you look at vaccines, and, and some of them have actually been useful to people, but that's when we've had, first of all, we have four to eight years minimum of safety data to show that it's it's going to do more good than harm, number one. Number two, you never, ever, ever have ever heard in history of, of administering a vaccine in the middle of a pandemic. You've never, ever, ever heard of administering a vaccine in the middle of a flu season. Why? Because when you do that, you create an escape phenomenon, and then you have a spinoff of a lot of problems. You have different variants that will occur because of something called the pressure, viral pressure. And there are a lot of, of problems that we know to be true. And so this, in the last year and a half or so, last year, this has been the only time in the history of the world where vaccines were introduced in the middle of a pandemic versus before a pandemic or before a major outbreak. So my take on it is that was not a good idea. And then, and we knew about this within the first two to three months of, uh, of, of, of administering these so-called vaccines, which are, which I mean, I call jabs. And I talked with Peter McCullough, who's obviously one of the frontline docs. He's a good guy. He's really been, uh, you know, he's well-published. He's extremely credible in the medical and scientific community. And, you know, he knew within the first two months that, that the campaign of the vaccination should have stopped and we should have backed up and said, first of all, we've breached a major tenet, which is not to give a vaccine in the middle of a, of a pandemic or major outbreak. Number two, we should have stopped and looked at the safety profiles, which is something that, by the way, the public is owed that, and that should have been occurring on a weekly or monthly basis, updating the public as they were getting these shots as to what are the complications and what are we seeing, and is this still a good thing or not? That was not done, that was completely ignored. So again, I'm talking about basic scientific method, I'm talking about basic um, protocol, which, which was completely breached. Next, when you look at it, uh, natural immunity versus these specific vaccines, if you will, and again, they're really not vaccines until you have four to eight years minimum of safety data. So when you look at natural immunity, studies in Israel have shown and other places that natural immunity is 13 times better than what we're seeing from these shots. So you'll notice that initially it was get one shot, get the second shot. Now we're every six months or less, we're on to boosters. Well, that tells you right away that whatever is administered, if it's going to work, and we'll talk about that in a second, so far we're only seeing an effect of six months or less. Whereas we know that natural immunity can last more than almost uh, two decades from what we're seeing. So, so you have those issues that are going on that are scientific issues and, um, and natural immunity, by the way, I'll break this down to people so they can understand. So, you know, stop and pause and ask yourself questions like, why are we only hearing part of the story? You know, in, in the scientific world, there's always debate, there's always historical precedence, and that should never be 
uh, slighted that should never be sidestepped. The only time that is sidestepped is when there's there's something that's really, really wrong. And so you always want to hear both sides of an argument. So when you start to hear people start calling other people's names because they may have a different opinion or different perspective, then that's going to be a real concern. And so we're seeing that. Um, we're seeing that as well. The other thing uh, I wanted. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, just a question. Uh, since all that has occurred and they didn't do the tests because they tried to get it out there as quick as they could. Have you heard anything with, I read about the CDC was looking at what's going on in the military with all the shots. Have you seen any records or anything from the military that dictates that they go up a thousand percent of neurological problems, 400% increase in, you know, fertility problems concerning these shots? Have you seen any of that data and believe it? Yeah. And, and the answer, and the answer is yes. So what we, so the DOD, you know, their data is very good because you have a, a very specific population and the population is well controlled. And when you look at the numbers, you're absolutely right. We're seeing on average three to 400% complications since these, the, in the population of people that have the vaccines and everything from, um, uh, you know, issues with fertility, the uh, issues with uh, neurologic status has been a real problem as well. We've had um, hemorrhages have gone up, heart attack has gone up, death has gone up. And the answer is why? And the, and, and the reason, the question is why? And the answer is because when a person is infected by a virus in general, what happens is the viral load will increase at a specific rate, okay? And then your body addresses that specific virus as it's increasing in your nose and so forth. In this case, the, the, the pathogen or is actually the spike protein. And so if you put spike protein into somebody's body and then you inject it into their cells and you have their cells tell their cells, now they're going to be the manufacturing plant and they make a ton of it in every cell in your body, you're going to have a huge load of protein all at once. And then that protein is going to circulate. It's going to go to the places most active, like the heart. And that's why we've seen an increased rate of heart attacks in these in these pro athletes. There's been over 100 reports of heart attack in one year, which is insane. The other piece, as you'll notice, is when you look at there is a reporting done by some of the um, uh, insurance uh, companies, uh, life insurance companies, and they will report on when there's a, a catastrophic event that's occurring and you see a blip in the mortality rates or the death rates of people. And we've noted now that initially, if there is a 10% increase in mortality, then you start to say, wait a minute, this is something, an event that happens every 200 years. Well, they've seen up to a 40% increase, or 30% increase, I'm sorry, in mortality, in, in, uh, in, in, especially even in men uh, you know, under the age of 50. So that in and of itself is extremely shocking that that happens, and we we know that uh, the, the the biggest contribution of this is the is the vaccine. The other piece is the vaccine. A similar mRNA vaccine was administered in administered in. Um, we had you know MERS and some of the other uh, pandemics, and at that time they saw the complication rate was so high that after fifty deaths, that's five zero, they completely stopped the campaign. But now the climate has changed politically and otherwise, and so now. You, we've got we we know that there are there there are, are uh, tens of thousands of deaths 
that are due to the specifically the vaccine that occur within the first 24 to 48 hours of administration. So that's a real problem. The other thing is people are mis people are misguided as to what this the the vaccines are supposed to do. The assumption what they're telling you is or they're giving you the the idea that it prevents people from getting uh, the COVID or from spreading it. But if you look at the original papers, the original papers on it was that we want it will mitigate or decrease your personal symptoms, but it's not going to it's not going to help prevent or spread. And, and that's exactly what's happening. We're seeing actually now that if you get the vaccine, your immune system decreases. And so now your immune system is worse off. And when you do catch the, the, the virus, you're actually going to eventually be sicker. Well, this so, is all interesting to me, being a former state rep. Uh, I've seen a lot of stories as well where there's a lot of incentive that the the government, knowing all these things that are occurring within the military and so forth, but yet we give incentives to doctors and hospitals, even funeral directors, if a person dies from COVID. Are you seeing, have you seen any stats on that? That, for example, I heard that uh, if, if a hospital only gives uh, remdesivir, they get a 20% bonus over all hospital expenses for that particular patient. Have you seen any of this or heard any of this? Yes, and you're absolutely right. If you, if you look at the journey for someone who is COVID positive, and that is to say you just had positive tests, right? You could have whatever. The PCR has never been, and I'll answer your question, the PCR is not uh, specific and it should have never been used, and it was never designed to be used, in masses and in, a pop, in population studies. It's only used in the lab in a very controlled uh, situation. And so what we're seeing is, is that there are many people who are test positive PCR, but may not even have COVID. But having said that, when a person gets into the hospital system, from the time they get into the emergency room, administ- uh, admitted, if they're given remdesivir, if they're given, uh, if they're admitted to the ICU, if they get put on a breathing tube, and if they die, that's about $100,000 of revenue. So compared to a lesser revenue, if someone has an upper respiratory tract infection and goes through that same pathway. Here's the thing that's really interesting to me, guys. So I'm a surgeon. So my, you know, over over the almost 20 years I've been doing surgery. And, and for most community hospitals, the revenue comes through the operating room primarily, okay, for the hospital. Well, what happened was over the last five months, they basically said, okay, well, COVID, whether it's due to lack of staffing because, you know, you kick out the people who don't want to get vaccinated or whether it's because of of supposed people who have COVID that are admitted in the hospitals. In either case, they say lack of beds. So they've been stopping all of the surgeries that require a person to stay overnight or for an extended period. So what that's done is that's markedly decreased revenue in hospitals, in the hospitals. So then the question becomes, well, how do they continue to make the bottom line if their traditional source of revenue is not occurring anymore? And the answer is the billions of dollars that the CARES Act freed up to uh, to pay for quote unquote COVID diagnosis. So the the it's it's almost as though I mean there are very few I think who see what's really occurring at a higher level and are completely sinister. And even in the hospital situation, you've got administrators who see that the revenue has dried up in one area and hey, 
if there's a higher coding in another area based on diagnosis and ICD-10 code, then let's make sure whenever we can, we can make that code because we have to still keep the bills. It has nothing to the bills paid and it has very little to do with complete patient care. Do you feel that the uh, numbers that they gave as a result of all these tests that don't work, and by the way, I've even heard that the antigen test has bad stuff that pesticides in it and so forth that you take and shove up your nose, but uh, do you think that those numbers were highly inflated? I do. I, I well. I, well, the numbers you're saying the numbers highly inflated of the of positive patients being tested positive for COVID. Yeah. So that's so yeah. the government could continue oh, yeah. to shut down oh, and do everything. Oh, well, here. Oh, I totally agree. Here's the thing. Okay, so when I was in in training, so I've been in practice 20 years. I in even in my training, I had to I I, I signed off on over a hundred or so death certificates. Okay, of children and and people for different reasons in the neurosurgery practice neurosurgery. And here's the thing. Normally, when you have a death certificate, you have the primary cause, number one, and then you have to list them in order all the way to the final, the third or fourth diagnosis, which would be cardiopulmonary arrest, right? So everything stops the heart or the lungs eventually, right? But what they did, though, is they changed the law and the CDC, uh, and, and they were able to change it. So now you can report diagnoses in, in sequence or in parallel versus sequence. So you can report... Uh, even if someone died of a car accident and got decapitated, clearly that's the reason why they died. But if you test them positive for COVID and they and they test positive, what is the hospital going to do? They're going to test positive. And that's going to be the prime. They're going to make that the primary diagnosis. So we think that there's a huge false positive, uh, a huge uh, false uh, uh, increase in the number of diagnosed COVID uh, patients. We also know that the PCR is was cycled higher than it really should have been and we know that's about 28 uh, cycles so what happens is if you cycle the pcr higher what you're going to do is you're going to get positives all day long even if a person had COVID in the past or if they have some other uh, respiratory tract infection because you're looking at a specific protein sequence and so again it's a totally inappropriate test and so as a result there are many many people who tested positive that really didn't have it. We And we're also, we're uh, uh, estimating that about 85% of those deaths that occur in hospitals would have been prevented if they had aggressive early treatment when they had symptoms in the first couple of days um, at home. Interesting. And now another thing, a question I have, uh, I don't know if you've heard this is true or false or not. Is it true the CDC has locked away the data on the Pfizer shots uh, the negative things that can occur for 75 years. I heard that on the internet. I don't know if it's true or not. Well, actually, it is true. And what happened was um, the one of the um, doctor, or I'm sorry, the attorney, uh, Siri, Mr. Siri got together with Peter McCullough and others. Peter, by the way, is actually still on some of the NIH safety panels, but got together with them and they actually sued um, Pfizer, and they had to take this to the, to the CDC as well. And what they were able to do, because initially what they were able to get some data. So they initially said, okay, great. The judges said it'll be 75 years. Well, from that, they pushed it harder. And now they were able to get that data so that we'll have all of it within a year. And here's the problem with that. The problem is, is that never ever in the history of medicine, have we not given 
anyone who is a part of an experiment, which is what this is, an experimental agent, has ever uh, not given disclosure of exactly the, what were the ingredients and components in, in, in a drug. So when you have, when you breach what is called the Nuremberg Code, which is one of the most highly respected articles in medicine as it relates to conducting research on subjects. And as you know, during uh, World War II, when the Nazis were tried in Nuremberg, there were uh, some principles that, uh, that they put in place when they tried these doctors and scientists who were obviously torturing people and abusing the scientific method uh, for their own gain uh, as they were destroying an entire population. Uh, and the Nuremberg Code is still in place. And so right. basically, for everyone here in America, every single one of the 10 precepts of the Nuremberg Code were breached. So everybody, so the CDC, the, um, the FDA, the CDC, and even WHO, the World Health Organization, they are all going to be sued and challenged, and they will lose. Do you think this was... Uh getting down old nitty-gritty here do you think fauci and the the government that this is political garbage stuck on us a planned pandemic if you will well i do and here's the reason why number one uh you know first of all fauci is just a, is more of a mouthpiece right so he's right. someone that can be easily replaced in general and so he's also the fall guy number two by the way, he's never, uh, at least not in recent times, done any clinical work. So he's giving opinions based on data in a scientific lab, okay, versus actually giving uh, people opinions based on the response of, of any of these medications to live people that he's talked to. Number two, you can't have a vaccine that's that that that's going to come out you know, that you know that is in place uh, as soon as the, or close to, or right after the infection comes out. There's a problem with that. It can take yeah. years and, and years and years and years before a vaccine can be created. So that's already a problem. And so, well, yeah, I, I believe there is collusion. And I also believe that in the past, the CDC and the NIH and others were, were uh, gatekeepers and would separate science, scientific principles and policy from big pharma. But now we know that about 40% or so of revenue, research revenue in dollars in the NIH uh, and CDC comes from big pharma. So we've got a real problem. So, you know, I, I remember Obama saying that there was going to be a pandemic during the time of uh, Trump's administration, and then it, we, we actually had it. Uh, I'm one of the few that I actually caught uh, COVID in the hospital after a back surgery. Yep. And, and it's really funny because when I got home, I started running 103 fever plus, and my mm. wife took me to the hospital. And this guy at the hospital said, oh, he's got COVID. You need to take him. I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan. You need to take him to a, a COVID ward in Detroit. My wife looked at this guy and says, you gave him COVID in this hospital. You're going to get his temperature under control and his pain under control. I'm not taking him anywhere. But the very thought they wanted to send me to a COVID ward tells me people that have COVID need something with them to, to get through this process because I, I think they just throw you to the wolves. Well, you know what? They throw you to the wolves, but here's the thing that's really sad. 
as a physician, I took a Hippocratic oath, okay? And it's not only to do no harm, but it's to mitigate suffering, okay? So there are two stories here. There's the pre-hospital and the hospital story. On the pre-hospital side, that means even if I know nothing about COVID treatment, I know how to read and I know how to help my patients. I would never tell someone who has a fever and has upper respiratory tract infection, sorry, you're on your own until you can't breathe and you can go to the hospital. But if you look at the CDC protocol, that's exactly what it says. Take Tylenol or Advil, and when you can't breathe, go to the ER. On the second side is when you look at what happens in the hospital, it's basically like a roach motel. So if you are diagnosed with COVID, you're gonna go down a really long path and it could end in darkness um, because for, for the reasons that we had mentioned. But here, here's the thing. The way that this works is, is that number one, in order for me to do what I'm gonna do with the least amount of resistance, if I'm going to take you down this pathway, which could end in your death because you're COVID positive and you may be symptomatic, I'm gonna to have to separate you from family. So how do I do that? I say, you can't see your family in a hospital for three weeks at least until, you know, from the time they have symptoms. But here's the thing, your infection rates only, uh, your or your ability to, to spread COVID usually occurs when you're symptomatic, which is usually in the first four to six days of symptoms for most people. After that, you are not able to spread COVID, nor are you able to catch a uh, catch it in a significant way. So why then in the world would they say that you, your family, your loved one can't see you for three weeks when you only need about six days? Well, that's problem number one, you have no advocate. Problem number two is when you look at the protocols, we have realized that, that this is more like a peanut allergy when you get to day seven, eight and so forth. And that's usually one of the big killers of the patients who have COVID. And, and so what we know is, is that you uh, early aggressive treatment, you know, Iver and vitamins and so forth are early aggressive. You can knock it down, even betadine, by the way, it's a, you can go to your drugstore, get some betadine, you take the cap off the betadine, you fill it with water, you drop some drops in the, in the, in that water, in that cap until it's like uh, a dark tea, use a Q-tip swab, you put that up your nose as far as you can get it and swab it, same, then you flip it, same on the other side and the rest that's still clean, you gargle it, spit it out, you do that twice a day, you're literally gonna kill a ton of bacteria and just that alone can prevent you from getting sick and definitely prevent you from getting to the hospital. On the other side, when you do get in the hospital and you follow their protocols, remdesivir is given and we know that back from the Ebola trials with Fauci again, the, in, the death rate was 23%. So let me, so, so putting that in perspective, if there's any other drug that performs at a five or 10% mortality rate, it, it's, it's gotta be pulled off to market. You're killing people. But in this case, we have 23%. And on top of that, then you add to the fact that you need steroids when you get to the point where your lungs are inflamed, but it's not necessarily, it's not because of an infection, it's because of almost like an allergy, an allergic reaction to those particles in the spike protein. So what you need is high dose steroid to decrease the inflammation. And that's been shown in, the, in Italy and other amazing papers. Well, the CDC basically has a protocol where you're getting just enough steroid to say that I'm giving it to you, but not enough to, to break that in, inflammatory response and that cytokine storm. It's equivalent to me putting out a house fire with a glass of water. It's not going to happen. You have to pummel people with a ton of steroid. If not, you are basically 
giving them something to say that you're giving them something, but then they're on their own. And here's the problem. When you go and talk to your loved one and they're, they're on this oxygen and it keeps increasing, the reason why they're not able to absorb the oxygen is because their lungs are inflamed. So what you have to do is stop the inflammation and then they'll be able to absorb the oxygen and that's not happening. So then people get put on a breathing tube and then they die. Uh, this is all really interesting because, you know, I've been part of this. And it bothers me that I'm a person who has natural immunity. I beat it on my own, yet I'm discriminated against. Yep. You know, I got to do this and I got to do that. And, and they try to make me think that I'm the bad person when, in fact, you're not going to get COVID from me. You're going to get a COVID from the idiots that got the shot or the boosters. Well, you're absolutely right. You're at, And here's the thing. And the reason why you're going to get it from the people who got the boosters is because they are, a, because of the fact that they may not be as symptomatic what they're doing is they're holding more virus in their right. nasal passage, right? So they're spewing yep. the stuff everywhere. Whereas the people that you want at your workplace are the people who have natural immunity because those are the folks that can't spread and can't give. Like you said, one of the things that was very disheartening is at Henry Ford, one of the folks that I'm working with, we have a, a virtual platform and we're working on developing some networking um, to raise uh, some awareness and also to work together for those who are like-minded. But David Bella was a primary care doc at Henry Ford. That was where the, one of the original studies on ivermectin and early on and one of the people that he talked to actually noted that there was benefit but when the data came out they showed the opposite so he was he, he, he was completely done with it but now when you go to, to that hospital the same hospital to your point that when you as a staff member when you're at a meeting or if you were taking care of a patient, if you have natural immunity versus getting the shot, they will treat, they completely discriminate you. You have to be gloved up, you have to have eyewear, you have to have masks on, and they can they can make it so that you have to be, you, you have to be basically virtual in, in everything that you do as opposed to even physically being there. Whereas if people are quote unquote vaccinated, they don't have to do any of that. So they're really wanting to shame people right. who actually have the goods versus those who don't yep did the mask work or is that just eyewash and it's you know what the mask not only do they not work it's actually hurting people and i would go as far as to say if you put your child in a mask it's child abuse so here's the way it works as a neurosurgeon i i manipulate carbon dioxide when I'm decreasing, when, when someone comes to me in the emergency room and they have a, a mass lesion, a tumor, and there's swelling or if there's a hemorrhage, we hyperventilate them. And so when they're breathing faster, they'll blow off their carbon dioxide, the, the blood vessels in the brain will shrink and that gives them room until I can get into their brain and take the pressure off. The opposite also occurs. If you are around high volumes of carbon dioxide, which is what happens when you, you retain carbon dioxide when you have a mask on, the blood vessels dilate, you have headaches, you get dizzy, you pass out, it changes the pH in your blood, and also you're more likely to continue to have infections because you're breathing in all this nastiness that you're supposed to exhale. So the, what we found out in Michigan is that Governor Whitmer actually here, she, she basically created a law. I mean, it, it was in law that mask, masking, forced mandated mask under the age of 17 is against the law. But she apparently talked to a whole bunch of folks in some of the counties and said, well, listen, I'm going to look the other way because I think it's an unconstitutional law. And so you can still get paid you know, as a commissioner or as a school board or as a superintendent, you can still get the PPE budget 
if you mask the kids. So you, that's why you'll see in some counties, there's no mask mandates. In other counties, they're still trying to push it. There is literally no science that the, the, the mask helps curb any the pandemic or protects or prevents against a virus. Here's the thing. If you go to the OSHA website yourself, even though they tell you that, if you look at an, if you go further into it, you look at an aerosolized particles, then then you will find that they will state with a warning that masks do not help against aerosolized particles. What's the vaccine? It's an aerosolized particle. The one human hair it, it, one human here can get through most of the masks or around most of the masks that people quote unquote wear. Uh, the virus, the coronavirus is a hundred times smaller in diameter than one human here. So it makes zero sense to wear a mask at all. And now we, what this has done is created fear mongering, which is part of something called the mass formation, which is leading people, hurting them into getting this vaccine. There's population control, and it's nuts. I'm in the I'm right now at uh, you know here in the airport. They want you to wear a mask for no reason. They say that it's for your safety, but we know better than that. There's no science that proves it, and they want to shame you if you wear a mask like you're a bad person. Here's the other thing yeah. for all those people that are out there. Listen, guys and gals. Why do you think it's okay to take the mask? If this really was the science and mask really helped, why is it okay to take the mask off when you're sitting down, but when you're standing up in a restaurant, you have to put it on? I don't do either one of those. I just walk right. in without it. Walk in, yep. out. Exactly. That's well, what we're I, doing too. I, I got another billion dollar question for you. So when I see all this data and the stuff that we've been told is not true, it's a lie. Uh, it, I know Gates and I forget the other guy's name. Uh, they all wanted to reduce population. Do you think this is really a sinister motive to reduce I population do. in the world? I do. I do. Because here's the thing. If if this was above board, then A, why would we introduce it right in the middle of a pandemic when we don't even introduce a new flu vaccine during the season? We always introduce it before the season for that next season. Number two, if this was no big deal, why do we have to censor people who may have a different opinion or may have an opinion that people need to explore? Number three, if this wasn't that case, how come people aren't taught about how the, the, the natural immune system actually functions? Number five, if this was the case, why does there have to be a mandate at all? So yes, I completely believe that. And we're seeing that. We're seeing the numbers. We talked about the mortality rates already in the DOD studies and trials. We talked about the VAERS, V-A-E-R-S, the open sure. VAERS and that data yeah. as well. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's plain sight. But the problem is if you use mass formation and you can get people, you tell them a line long enough, you break the natural bonds that they have, add yep. these other bonds, and now they don't even, they're, they're just completely mesmerized. They're, they're completely hypnotized. And this is what you end up with. Yep, they follow. They, most people are followers; they're not leaders, so they just do what they're told. But that's what I've seen. But this is really You're fascinating right. to me, being in politics for over ten years, and uh, what I see is a lot of dishonesty going on, and a lot of money being paid to accomplish these things. And then, what I want to know, being a former military man, I spent over just about thirty years and twenty-six years actually. Uh, oh wow! And I, I spent twenty-six years in the Air Force, and I used to be a fighter pilot. But my point is, I see us. Lowering this is a different topic, I suppose. But yeah. uh, uh, Obama got rid of a lot of our military, got rid of a lot of our fighters, and now he's sticking all these people with these shots. Now we got sick yep. people in the military, so we got a weak military. Now we're being tested yep. both in Ukraine, we're being tested with China, 
And I think yep. it's almost treason to me what's going on in the United States. I agree, 100%. And also, when did a public figure ever license people to hate other people because of something they did or didn't do in terms of the vaccine too, right? I mean, in terms of politics. So it is just really criminal. And I, I'm, we're praying and we appreci I appreciate programs like yours because the more that we can give information out to people, then at least they can make informed decisions. And that's what we need. The, the general media, when you know, they are all on board and they're gonna say the same thing and they're gonna fear monger. And I would tell people for those who are listening and say, I don't believe it, here's my question to them. When you look at the news, how come they don't, when they show you the number of people that died and the number of people that caught COVID, why don't you, they do the math and show you that that, that number comes out to about 1.8 mortality percent mortality which there are many many other uh, scenarios or diseases and illnesses that are way worse than that overall no one talks about that they only spin the negative side and that should be enough for people to stop and say oh you're right uh there there is uh, a collusion here and there is a narrative here so why are doctors in the offices that know all the stuff that you know are they going along because they're afraid of getting ostracized or being? I am so glad you asked that. I think it's because of a couple of things. Number one, it's because I think they're selfish. Okay, we were given, we gave an oath to protect you guys and to be able to help you and your families. And so now we're just going to step aside and say, I don't know anything about COVID. And I'm just going to clean. I'm just going to wash my hands of it. And you're going to watch the very people that you took care of since birth. You're just going to wash your hands of them. So that's the first thing. I think it's a fear factor. And uh, in terms of whether they would catch COVID or not. And then secondly, it's a fear factor because I've gotten letters myself that says, hey, listen, if you if, if you go against a narrative, you know, we're going to get these docs uh, to lose their license. They're going to lose their livelihood. Many docs are employed. So if you think about it, every doc that's employed at a hospital, every doc that is a major university, they're caught because if they if they come forth, then they are going to lose their jobs. They're going to lose their their uh, the money in 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 terms of the research, and they are out. Okay, so you've got a small percentage of docs who are uh, on their own, who are advocating for the rest of the entire world, and that's why the American Frontline Docs is so important, because those docs are you know they're most of them are independent and they're advocates and they're really fighting. But the other piece is is that the, that mass formation occurs within the hospital systems as well as in, in the docs. So they really believe they're doing the right thing, even though, you know, the data would show otherwise. But now, now that they're in, they uh, they conform and say, hey, there's a majority of us because see, in medicine, we have something called the standard of care. And the standard of care basically says if people that are like you in your region perform the same surgery or the same procedure, then it's considered a standard of care. So what if the majority are wrong? It's still considered a standard of care. Oh, Interesting. So, well, so Doc, I, go ahead. when you have them all saying, trust the science, trust the science, trust the science, right? For two years. Yep. And how do we gain trust now back in the healthcare system? Because you got big pharma you know, just pushing out yeah. all kinds of medicine, insurance companies now saying, hey, if you don't have this, then we're not going to cover you. How do we gain and restore faith in the healthcare system? And you know what? That's a great question, and that's a tough answer. I tell you what. I mean, that's a tough question, and, and I don't. I think it's gonna it's gonna require a different healthcare system with people at the top and in between at the bottom, who actually have a soul 
and really care about people and they care about data, they care about the science, and, and that's what it's going to take. I think at this juncture, our healthcare system is corrupted up and down. I think that the, the, the physicians have pretty much, the majority have given up. And I think that this is going to be an interesting time to come. I know that there are groups that are raising up like-minded physicians that care about patients and will do what it takes to take care of those patients. And you'll see that uh, soon to come. Have you ever seen a virus that specifically to one population group, like the children were very much not really affected by this virus to to even more prove that maybe it was planned because they engineered it that way? Well, sure. Well, here's the thing. We know that the the spike protein... um, you know, so it, it affects the ACE2 uh, receptors. The ACE2 receptors are specific in certain populations, number one. Number two, kids don't have many ACE2 receptors, and they have a thymus gland. So since they don't have ACE2 receptors, the, the chance of them getting sick uh, from the, the virus is exceedingly unlikely. We know that the influenza is, is worse on them than, than COVID. Um, so, so, so that's one side of the, of, of the coin. And so that's why everyone should also stop and say, why are we vaccinating kids when they don't get sick, right? Anyone under the age of 50, the chance of them getting sick is highly unlikely. What we're noticing a new move is now they're going to approve remdesivir, an oral form of it. And they're going to, even if you're positive and you're not symptomatic, if you're in the hospital, they're going to give it to you. And then you're going to go right, right in that pathway. And my prayer is you come out of the hospital. Hey, I got a question there. I was in the hospital. How do I know they didn't stick me with that stuff when I was in the hospital? Well, good point. They, you know, and when and I would say you you don't know. It's a, it's a five day. Usually, it's a five day course of an infusion, and they tell you it's remdesivir. Um, but now they have, a, I think, a three day, three to five day pill form. So the thing is, is that as a, as an advocate advocating for yourself, I'd make sure that you know exactly what you're getting, and I would also make sure that you can get family that can be in and with you, and you advocate for that. And if they're not going to do that, I would I'd get out of the hospital as quick as I could. Can I ask that question from the hospital? Did you give me, you know, remdesivir when I was in the hospital? Will they tell? Yes, me? they have to. You and, and you can ask for your medical records. They have to give you your medical records. Otherwise, they're going to have a huge lawsuit. Okay. Thank you. Another one. uh, One last question here. Trump had signed a uh, forget what it was called, where you can try different drugs, um, the Right to Try Act or whatever it was called. Why was this not able to be used for ivermectin and hydrochloroquine and, and the other likes of the therapeutics that could have helped? Yeah, that's a great question. And so, so my mom died at a Texas hospital because of the fact that she she was COVID positive, and they basically killed her. Yeah. Um, and I, but I, I actually enacted that and said the right to try is what we need to do for ivermectin and other things. And the, the right to try act, if you look at some of the detail of it, what it states is is that if there is a protocol. Um, that is uh, an experimental protocol, then you can consider a right to try. So some hospitals will try to try to squirm out of the right to try act based on its its true definition. Um, so so my advice would be get a get an attorney um, for those uh, for the families 
get an attorney to advocate for the patients. Make sure if you can be that you're there every day you can, so that you can see what they're getting. And at the, as soon as you can get people out of the hospital, get them out of the hospital. And more importantly, if you go to the American Frontline Docs, uh, dot, uh, com, or if you go to the Frontline Critical Care Consortium dot org, you will find uh, medications that you can take and resources. People, you can find people that can get you these medications so that you can have early aggressive care as soon as you develop symptoms so that you never end up in the hospital. And in regards, other thing as I'll say is in regards to the mass formation and these people being hypnotized, I have a book and actually the book you can go, it's called The God Prescription and you can go to www.thegodprescription.com and you can get it for free. You have to pay for shipping and handling. But what that book, it, it talks about some of these specifics as it relates to things that you can endure and do, do to empower yourself as uh, your spirit, your soul, and your mind and will and emotion. And then I have also uh, a video, uh, you know, and a workbook that's available. And, and we're going to be getting into some of these topics so that we can wake people, not woke, but we can wake people go. up, wake, wake yes. the church up that so that people sure. can take, can say, Exactly. To say, look, these are my rights. These are my God-given rights. Yes. And I'm going to do this. And I don't really care who you are. That's you right. Know? And I think those are all important pieces. And all of us need to know that we're doing this. And I appreciate you guys and having me on the show because this is about this is about love. And this is about caring for your neighbor and about telling the truth and about allowing people to make choices for themselves and empowering them with information. Is this well, virus doctor, is this virus here to stay? It is, just like all the viruses. It's here to stay. It's going to continue to morph. But here's the good news. Omicron, when Omicron hit, it was so infectious, but it was very mild, except to those who already had this quote-unquote vaccine. So uh, in, in essence, everyone in the entire world should have caught Omicron. And if that's the case, then everyone should have natural immunity now. So by definition, if everyone has natural immunity, then whether there is, you know, coronavirus has been around for decades already. But so, it, and, and so the point is, is that even if it does, it is around, is it going to be a problem always? And the answer is not at all. The, the issue is now we've got big pharma and we've got a lot of other agendas that are taking advantage of people's rights. And, uh, and that's a bigger problem right now. Yes, you got that right. Well, Dave, I don't have any more questions. You got anything? Uh, well, he's answered a lot of my questions, and I want to thank you, Doctor Jackson, for yes. being on this program. And, and you know, your your answers, everything what I thought was happening, you you confirmed. But it just puts a big trust in my mind concerning my doctors and my government. And I do not trust Biden. I know I'm getting political here, but I don't think we'd be in the mess we're in now if we had a different president. And I just pray to God we get somebody who's number one a Christian. And we'll do what's right for the people rather than what's right for them and their party. I completely agree. Thank you know, thanks, Dave and Brian. I appreciate both you guys. And 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 the goal is going to be to actually create a Christian-based healthcare system that really gives good care for all. Well, thanks, good. Dave. We really or, <laughs> thanks, Doctor. Yep. We really appreciate your time. And Brian, you you got to put this on my web, my Facebook page. So yep, I can, spread that can do, and then I'll I'll shoot you a copy of the uh, podcast as well, Doctor. Sounds good. Hey, great, great. Hey, appreciate you guys. Yep. Thank you for your Thank time. You. God bless. Right, bye-bye. Bye. God bless you guys. Bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to the Patriots Voice of Michigan. God bless.